Hi there, Catsuit. Hi there, Nookie. Wait, I wasn't expecting you right now. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to stop by and tell everyone about our event coming up Valentine's weekend. You mean the three-day education and social event focusing in on dating and relationships for kinky folks called the Kinky Dating Something Something and Love Blah 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 event? We've got great speakers lined up, including me. Yeah, also Lexi Silver, Zach Budd, Unruly Nerd Girl, and I'll even be presenting a four-hour workshop. Don't worry, it's in two parts about how to defuckify your dating and create a profile and a life that weeds out what you don't want and attracts what you do. Registration is open now. And the first 500 people get in free, so don't hesitate. Get registered at datingkinky.com slash dating dash love dash event. It's a great opportunity to learn from the people you love about the people you hope to love. I know it's on my Valentine's Day calendar. Chocolates are optional. The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. With questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want a look into the beginning of traditional and non-traditional relationships from the first impression to that messaging that finally wins people over. I'm John, known around some parts as Hi There Catsuit, and we come to the week of the election here in the United States, so we decided to bring in a former presidential candidate and an accomplished author who knows about Wall Street to give us a unique look at the world ahead and what women and other wonderful humans want. We first say hail to the Chief Dom. Tara Indiana has been a professional and lifestyle dominatrix for over 29 years. In the course of that time, she's dominated over 10,000 men, taught more than 1,000 professional dominatrixes, and starred in over 200 fetish films. She is the founder of the dungeon Den of Iniquity, and she actually ran for president against the Donald. Her campaign was powered by the slogan, whipping America into shape. When she's not campaigning for votes, Mistress Tara is also a world-renowned BDSM educator and activist. She's joined by an author who exposes some powerful Wall Street executives in the BDSM world, albeit in novel form. Jane Boone is the author of Edge Play, a book that examines both worlds in a steamy tone. She is a former journalist for publications like the Wall Street Journal, Time, and Bloomberg, and she has even appeared on the screen with a part of a dominatrix in the TV show Gotham. 
So let's open up the polls and help make decisions on the good and the bad when it comes to what women and other wonderful humans want. As we have Tara Indiana and Jane Boone with us. So Tara, I'll have you go first. The best way to make a first impression with you. Oh, good manners to be just very, very, um, if, if you're talking about in an S&M context, I'm a high protocol mistress. So very old fashioned, yes, mistress, no mistress, that kind of stuff. Uh, and if it's in real life, just, you know, just being a polite, decent person actually is what impresses me. Jane? Well, I grew up in Canada, so I'm I'm with you, Tara. I like somebody who's very polite, but you'd better be fucking smart. Yes. Um, I don't want to call myself a sapiosexual, but I've always been drawn to people who have brains that are humongous. First influence you had from a superhero or superheroine? Okay, I'll go there. So I think one of the reasons I have the pervy streak is because of Charlie's Angels. Aaron Spelling created this universe where the angels were constantly getting tied up or tying people up. They were always in peril, but they were getting shit done. Yeah. And that notion of these women kind of taking on risk and like putting men in their place fascinated me. They're maybe not the conventional superheroes that you're thinking of, but I love the Charlie's Angels. I, and of course, the brunettes always spoke to me since I'm a brunette. When my parents took away my television and took away Charlie's Angels, my grades actually went down. Wow. And I'm sticking by that story. <laughs> Tara? Well, I mean, you know what it is. It's Catwoman. Uh, I mean, she's a villain. She's not a superhero, I guess. Um, but I was always drawn to her. Um, obviously, my preferred Catwoman is Julie Newmar. But uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Hale Berry uh, are pretty cute also. Um, but actually, my first um, S&M fantasy was like around that. I didn't realize at that time that it was an S&M fantasy. But, you know, in retrospect, uh, you know, when I was about, this is true. When I was five years old, I had this fantasy of being Catwoman and, you know, of course, capturing uh, Robin and tying him down uh, to uh, one of those um, they put this uh, circular saw to saw someone in half. Um, and, but now this is where it gets weird. Up until then, you could see a kid fantasizing that. And for some reason, I'm not sure why, I, I wanted, I, in my fantasy, I made a mold of his penis and I filled it with green acid and burned his junk off. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> Tara, that was foreshadowing. Oh my yeah. gosh. Now, so I have I have a Batman story. Okay. So um I I dabble uh when I was living in New York, I would sometimes work as an extra because I love getting dressed up in costume. And I especially loved it when I would see listings for SM scenes. Hmm. And so I applied for one for the show Gotham and they wanted a real dominatrix. I'm like, I can do that. And um, they interviewed four of us and there were like these two hotties in their twenties wearing like tight PVC dresses, all leg, tit and hair. And then there was this gorgeous woman in her thirties who was like 
a pro dom whose specialty was wrestling. And then there was me, the old lady, the bunch. I'm like the most covered. I'm, I think I was 47 when it happened. And, uh, and I'm looking around the room. I'm like, there's no fucking way they're going to pick me. But I am so glad to be here because I'm going to get a story out of this. And we had the opportunity to meet with the director and he sought our input about scene and what it should look like. And I had thought about it. I had ideas like crazy. Oh, let's do some really artful rope bondage. It'll look great on his, his white t-shirt if you make the rope black. How about some metal, metal cuffs or a collar? It'll really look cool on, on camera. And like the other, the other women just, you know, were quiet. And I was still convinced they were going to choose one of the 22-year-olds because like it's TV. But to my amazement, they, they chose the old broad. Wow. And so I got to like, you know, wear a corset, mm -hmm. gloves, um, this girdle with uh, thigh-high stockings and garters. And like, they treated me like a sex symbol, which was pretty amazing. But when I did some research, I learned that the dominatrix is actually part of the Batman mythology. Catwoman actually in some of the stories did a stint in a brothel working as a professional dominatrix. And that was how she got her costume. That's how she got some of the tools. That's where she learned how to put men in their place. So in the Batman universe, having dominatrixes is totally consistent with the story. So you were early, Tara. Yes. You sensed it and you embraced it. I did. But you... But you were early for so much. I mean, you recognized what was going on politically um, four years ago and realized that this was farce bordering on tragedy and you went for it. I mean, I so admire what you did. Well, thank you. It was, it was, it was a really interesting experience. You know, I've been, you know, in BDSM and some kind of sex work, uh, you know, for 30 years and, um, what was interesting about running for president was it was by far the most humiliating and thankless job I've ever had. Oh, wow. It was so, so did what happened? Like, what was the bad side of it? Like, what was the worst thing that happened to you? Well, I mean, you know, basically what you're doing all the time is begging. It's a lot of begging, you know, begging for money, begging to speak in front of groups of people. But, you know, like all this beg, you know, and as a dominatrix, like that's not usually like my 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 role you know and uh it was hard. you got great coverage though i did you got some great coverage i did uh i mean and and it, and i you know it wasn't just i mean it was also fun um it was an incredible social experiment but it it, it really like it really made me realize how why we have these narcissists uh in politics because you kind of have to be a narcissist to kind of whether the constant begging and uh, assaults on the ego, um, you know, you know, and I think that's why, you know, the, the well, I mean, and for other reasons that people do it, but it was, it was really interesting in that way to just sort of, you know, see how the process works, you know, from the inside. I mean, granted on a very small scale, you know, um, but I got the, I got the gist of it. I got the flavor of it for sure. Did you toy with doing it again? No. <laughs> there are limits to your masochism, right? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought about, you know, I mean, I thought about it. That could be sort of a, a form of activism in itself for me to be this sort of recurrence, this perennial candidate every year that would sort of force people to talk about uh, dominatrixes and sex workers in a new way. But um, I decided I decided instead um, I sort of uh, I formed dad out of that uh, uh, presidential run and we did some political we did some some pretty good political activism through that group and uh, that, so that's what I've been doing uh, you know since I lost the race <laughs> <laughs> well I was rooting for you I know I know I would have definitely been a better president than Donald Trump um, I concede I voted for Hillary but at least the woman got my vote that was the uh... yeah well, the, I think the White House would have had some very interesting architecture, architecture <laughs> revisions. In it. Yes. Yes. There wouldn't be a bowling alley in the basement. There'd be something else. Well, bowling balls could still be used, uh, according to some dominatrixes, that's for sure. Or, or maybe they just give up. There would be no pins. There exactly. would only be human bowling. targets. Yeah. They, they yes. Human targets for the balls. Yeah. Men on their knees. How about that? The first time, and I'll start with Jane on this one. First time you ever received an unsolicited dick pic and your reaction to it. God, it's been so long. I've been on the internet forever. I mean, I was on the internet before there was a web. So fortunately, in the early days, there weren't really digital cameras. So like you didn't get dick pics back then. Uh, it's, I don't even remember because it was so underwhelming. So clearly the dick pic was of no consequence to me. It was a just, I mean, have you ever seen one that's, that's left you impressed, Tara? No, but I'll tell you something funny. The one time that women will ask to take a picture of your dick is during my CBT class. <laughs> just to prove that it's happening. No, it's well, like, not just not just that it's happening, but like the, the kind of CBT that I, I, I teach people is really uh, artistically beautiful. It's sort of like puppetry of the penis. Like people don't realize the shapes that a penis can be bent into with rope. And, you know, you can turn it all the way upside down. You can push it in and make a vagina. I mean, there's all this stuff that you can do to it. Wasn't there like a show called Puppetry of the Penis? Like, I don't know, 20 years ago, like a bunch of guys got on the stage naked and like, you know, did tricks with their dicks. Correct. That's exactly right. So it's sort of like that. <laughs> and it's a lot like, um, it's like arts and crafts for adults, you know, because you've got your clothespins, they're all different colors and your different ropes. And, you know, you create a, you know, uh, a, a, you can make their cock into a bouquet, you know, you can make flowers, you know. And so it's like the only time that women are like, can I take a picture of your dick? So, you know, if you want women to want your pictures of your dick, then you should come to my CBT class when this pandemic is over. I don't know when that's going to be, but. It sounds like a really good outlet for your crafty impulses. I mean, you could be doing macrame or something, but instead you're tying up penises. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is like macrame a little bit. It's like, I know it sounds like far-fetched, but believe me, if you were here, you know, if you sort of suspend the disbelief that it's a CBT class, it looks like an arts and crafts class. I have little stations 
everybody's got their practice dummy penis to practice on and you know and it's one of my most popular classes i mean the women just you know they just well it's not just that it's you make these interesting projects of their penises it's the sounds they make when you're making their penises into new things you know so you have both the satisfaction visually of your artistic creation as well as the, the moans and wails and screams of pain and ecstasy. It's just fun. It's just a fun way to spend the I, afternoon. I think, I think, you know, we've sort of have to kind of hit up against the notion that that this the penis is not something that needs to be babied. I mean, obviously there, there are dudes that, that want it to be adored and worshipped, but it's something that you can use as a toy. Yes. and treat it as a tool and treat it as an art object even. I mean, why not paint it different colors and apply colorful um, clothespins? Like turn it into something else, make it interesting. I mean, we've all seen boring dicks. Why not make them like, compelling and Yeah, I mean, this memorable. actually makes your penis interesting. This actually makes your penis interesting, fun to look at, and, and women actually want to play with it. I think if that first dick pic he'd, he'd like been wearing colorful yarn or something, I would right. remember that. See, I don't remember, remember that. anything, and I know I'll it see, happened because I'll send you of course some it happened. Uh, pics if you want. Afterwards, I'll send you some pics from from those classes so you can see how artistic. And that will be the only time that a woman has ever sent another woman a dick pic. It'll be a first. I'm in. I'm in. I want to. I want to. I want to marvel at your artistry. I want to see just what you can. What kind of bouquet you can make? Like, is it a rose? Is it a daisy? Like, what the flowers inform your designs? I mean, this is fun. Yes. And 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 what does it mean, like, to the guy if he's all of a sudden he sort of looks down and it looks. Uh, that's the funny thing about this class, because like the C, my CBT intensive is like uh, for sure uh, one of my heavier classes, you know, because. Basically, the guys that sign up for this class sign up for a bunch of inexperienced women practicing on their dick, you know, and, you know, and it's not like CBT would be in a session because they're not going to do it right the first time. So basically, like the first part of the class, I'm teaching them how to tie and they never they never tie tightly enough. They never grab the dick. They're, they're afraid to hurt it, you know, so. Most of the class is getting them to understand that the dick is actually really sturdy, you know? I mean, it can really take a lot of damage. I mean, a lot of, I don't want to say damage, but you know what I mean? It can take a lot of a punishment. That's yeah, they're, they're robust. They're not going to fall off. They're not going to fall. You know, so, you know, so they usually are, you know, so I have to make, so they're tying the, the guy's dick up over and over again the same way. So that's not like a session. It's not fun. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's just painful and uncomfortable. And the more times they get tied, the more their dick gets chafed and you might break skin. I have to warn everyone at the beginning of the class that that won't happen in session. But if you're tying someone over and over again, their skin is going to chafe. You're going to break skin. That's normal. You know, so, you know, part of it is, you know, just getting them past that. And then what's interesting is you would think that the guys that would sign up for this class would be like very experienced, heavy masochists. And it's not like I get first timers all the time. And I realized after a while, it's because like, it's not per se the, the, the activity that I'm teaching in the class that is drawing them to want to be a practice dummy. They actually really just enjoy being a practice dummy and being used and practiced on 
uh, especially it's by the way of being of service. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very fun. There's a lot of laughter and a lot of screaming. I have a, so I wrote a novel and I have a scene that kind of captures that. So in the book, um, I've got this Uber Dom who's got an amazing world-class dungeon and she has um, an opportunity to do something um, in Switzerland. So she invites a girlfriend of hers to take over. And it's a bit of a leap of faith because her girlfriend isn't that experienced, but she offers to get her trained. And then there's this guy who's basically the most eager uh, practice person available. He gets off on being like, the lab rats and 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 sort of having this inside view of whether like dominatrixes are born or if they're made so what do you think are they born or are they made the skills you can teach anyone but um the inclination to be an alpha female uh is is born i mean i was five years old where did i where did i get the idea to do that you know it wasn't I, I wasn't in it. My parents didn't abuse me. It wasn't. It was. And you know what was interesting about it? That that fantasy of like of doing that wasn't. Uh, there was no. I, I did. It wasn't. It didn't come from a place of meanness or, or cruelty. In my in my child mind, it came from a place of playfulness. If that makes sense, it was a way of playing to me. Just a little darker than most children's. So you were a weird kid, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I guess I was a weird kid. Um, I mean, I didn't tell anyone that until I was an adult. Um, and I didn't really think about it until I became a dominatrix. But, um, you know, your perception about um, his motivation is uh, correct because personal slaves, as opposed to people who session, I was explaining this to my apprentice the other day, like what does a personal slave get out of it? Because, you know, from the outside looking in, the personal slave position looks tough, you know? I mean, a personal slave's gotta clean and run errands and be a beast of burden. And one of the things I tell submissives, uh, submissive males who come to my class how to meet a dominant woman, you know, they, you know, I, I tell them if you're ever collared, I can guarantee you one thing you'll be cleaning up animal poop. There's no such thing as a personal slave that doesn't, right? You're gonna be cleaning up after a dog, cat, or bird. That's gonna be part of it for you. You know, so why would you wanna do it? And basically what being a personal slave is, is you're backstage at the rock concert with the rock stars behind the scenes. And you're seeing all the sort of shenanigans and the craziness that goes on that makes those sessions and that life possible. You know, you're backstage at the rock concert. Right. And it's it's a very particular kind of service and and an intimate yes. one because like you get to see what the magician does. You know, you get to see the tricks. And hopefully it doesn't diminish their magic, but it's it's a totally different perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think your congenial host has been blushing quite a bit during the last few minutes. <laughs> I think I turned as red as the hat that's next to is me. It, I don't know why. Is it something we said? Uh, maybe. All I could think though, when Tara first brought up all the different things you can do with a penis was the character from Airplane that says, I can make a hat or a brooch or a lovely bouquet. Yeah. 
Yes, it's very that. I want to move in a little bit to the point of how people approach each other. Jane, I know you're very much in a, the private space. You don't uh, go out into the public, at least on social media, in the kink space. But because you are an author of a very erotic novel, are there people that approach you in an unsolicited way that make you uncomfortable? Uh, well, you know, we're, we're all in quarantine. So I haven't had the experience yet of being at an event and, and having that kind of face-to-face -face interaction. But I think I got it. You know, I'm not a child. I'm a 53-year-old woman. And if I encounter something weird, I know what to do. I've, I've encountered weirdness on the job since I graduated. I'm an engineer by training. I, I know what to do if some, some asshole is being strange, or even if somebody is is just too enthusiastic, who is otherwise kind and well-intentioned. So I assume the best, but I can I can navigate that shit. Does that work in social media in the world of DMs and private messages? I have encountered some really wonderful people uh, privately in DMs, like um, really surprisingly delicious encounters. I'm not looking to play. I'm not poly. We, we don't have that kind of relationship. I'm married, but I'm, I'm open to talking about kink. Um, I have some thoughts in the matter and, and some experiences that aren't necessarily at recent, but they're pretty deep. And I find it fascinating. I mean, I'm just so in awe of, of Tara and how she's still in the game and still making it interesting for herself and for her counterparts. And like, how do you manage it when you're out and about? Like when you were campaigning, I mean, it had to be a little weird because not only are you getting like the pervs, but you're also getting kind of political junkies who are into like sexy stuff. Here was the other thing that was interesting. Like I also, I also experienced how people lose their souls because I, I mean, I, I actually like, I ran. So that meant I went out and stumped, you know, and um, there weren't a lot of places that would let me come and speak to their groups, but the places that did, you know, were unusual, of course. And, but there was a common thread that was kind of interesting with, which is that I'd get up and I'd do my speech. And when I first got there, they would, um, they would know that I was there and what I was there for. And they'd be kind of, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, sort of evasive and not, uh, you know, not too approachable and kind of uncertain and unsure of what this was all about, which makes sense. It is, you know, a dominatrix running for president. But my stump speech was actually pretty good. And after my stump speech, they'd like, they, they'd be converted and they'd, they'd, um, they'd be actually interested in talking to me, like as a serious candidate. And like, so they would come, so people at these different events would come up to me and they would start, um, asking me a question like, you know, um, what's your position on, uh, you know, paid leave for families, you know? And then before I could say anything, they would start saying what they think should be done. And they wouldn't, 
and they'd be so excited to tell a candidate what they think should be done that they wouldn't bother to hear what I said. And I realized that it becomes much easier to just says, to just let people do that and let them think that you're on the same side as them and get their vote that way. Do you, do you know what I mean? And like, I could see how insidious that would be, you know, rather than saying, well, actually no to the person, I think this is what should happen and losing their vote. Do you know what I mean? And I think the other thing is as women who are sort of out about having fascinations that are a bit edgy and out there, we're like magnets for people with stories. You know, they, they want to tell us about their cousin who did blank and how they live next to a high-class escort or they, they went to school with somebody who was a dominatrix. And, and, and it's, it's a real privilege kind of getting to peek behind the scenes, not unlike personal slaves. I mean, you do get to short circuit some of the intimacy that might be otherwise kind of hard to achieve. Like um, I sent copies of the book to some some friends of the family. And all of a sudden, like I now know who, who watches pervy porn because <laughs> like they know the they know the they know King.com, they know whatever. And there's no way I would know that otherwise. I mean I've I've leapfrogged like multiple layers of intimacy to to peer into their their sort of twisted little psyches and enjoy it with them. Because they know that about you. They know you're kind of cool and, and maybe a little off kilter and, and fun. I love how you have redefined the term bookbinder, however, <laughs> because copies of the book come in all uh, in beautiful rope work. And oh, that's wow. pretty cool. That yeah, is cool. so I, I, you know, I to, to sort of get some attention for the book, I've been tying it up like in the shape of a carotta. I, I use hot pink rope because the pink lettering on the book. And I do some pretty artful rope bondage because I know some knots. I am not without skill. skill. And people have been responding to it. Like even civilians, like they're kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I want to untie it. I'm like, it's easy to tie it back up. I will tell you how to do yeah. it. <laughs> untie the fucking book and read it. I will help you. And it's, it's, it's been fun. And, and there was, um, and occasionally I'll, I'll see like little videos of people like who, who've received the book. And there was one, uh, woman in Paris, Lady Bellatrix, who did a little video when she got the book and like the way she inserted her fingers under the bottom knot, which is where his cock would go if it were on yeah. a human and she just yanked it. And, and I'm like, I think she's signaling to her followers that she is one tough bitch in like the best possible way. And I'm like, thank you. That might sell a book or two. That's really cool. I absolutely love those. Tara, I know you're on social media. I don't know how active you are. But when I talked to Christina Carter earlier uh, in the, this series, I asked her how many DMs she gets on a regular basis, how many of them obviously are unsolicited, and how she manages them. And she told me, and I've mentioned this on almost every show, that at last count, she has 82,000 unread messages yep. and that she can't keep up with it. As a professional dominatrix and as someone who is sought after, 
how do you keep control of the incoming messages to you and how do you choose which ones to respond to? I just, I just don't, I just don't do DM on uh, social media. I can't, I've got like 8,000 friends and followers on Facebook and you know, it would just be impossible. So most of my social media, I, it says uh, no DMs. And, you know, obviously people ignore that. And most of the time I just ignore their messages. I make where I can be communicated with as clear as I can, which is, you know, if you don't know me, it's by email um, and, or like through my website. And if you don't contact me in one of those ways, then you don't contact me. That said, um, even though I don't check my DMs uh, almost ever uh, or respond to people every now and then somebody will dm me and they'll say something that i think is worth responding to and i'll respond to them um you know i'll let them know don't don't make you know don't expect this to happen again but you know and this is how you can communicate with me but you know if somebody writes me something thoughtful especially if it's like a a, a longtime fan someone who's been following me for a while i'll always respond to my my really longtime fans I want to give a shout out at this point to Simone Justice, who was so nice yes. in putting me in contact with you because I had invited her to be a part of the show. And obviously, with the world going as it is, uh, people's lives are, are absolutely crazy. She wasn't able to do the podcast at this time, but I'm so glad she introduced me to you, and I greatly appreciate it. Oh, no worries. That. She's an amazing educator. This is, this is such an honor for me because I... I was in awe of the chutzpah and seriousness that, that you approached your, your political campaign. I just thought this woman is the bomb. So I'm curious though, did, did running for politics affect your, affect your business? Like, did, were you able to convert? I mean, there's no way to know because as a write-in candidate, they, you know, some states don't even tally the write-in candidates or only tally them if it's a certain number. So, you know, people say they're going to vote. You don't know. I have no idea, like, who voted for me or how many did. Um, but I'm sure. But did it was generate interest in your professional life? Oh, well, I have to couch that by saying that I haven't made my living primarily doing sessions since I was 35 is when I officially retired from doing sessions. You know, but obviously, you know, I have regulars that I continue to see over the years. But um, I would think actually that it would be bad for business. Um, and I sort of knew that doing it, which is sort of why, because um, I knew I wanted to do activism and that was why I, I shut down the dungeon in 2016 because I knew if I did activism that could bring unwanted heat, not just to myself, but to other people working with me. So I decided to get out of it. So the, the just long, too much attention. The long, the long answer is I don't think it's good for business because I'm sure half my clients are Republicans, and uh, you know, don't uh, you know? I mean, maybe some of them have a sense of humor about it, but a lot of them don't. Right. Well, Justin Miller did a really good study of the political uh, politics versus sexual fantasy and democrats you pervy uh republicans are more into like threesomes orgies couple thing you know which we yeah. saw recently with um 
but it's not exclusive. There's a lot of overlap. And uh, so you, yeah, you'd, it would be probably pretty complicated. Um, but it yeah, actually there's somebody on Trump alert who is promoting themselves as a, as a, a Trump supporter. And I'm sure she's making lots of money. Like she's sort of working the, um, you know, the mean girl, uh, you know, that whole like, uh, I'm not expressing it well, but you know, that actually is probably the better way to make money because she probably gets the Republicans and the Democrats that are sort of fetishizing uh, the, right. the forbidden better, food. Of, yeah, that, that's- the It's whole, better if she's blonde too. Like, oh yeah, like, she's you know, blonde kind of, and exactly who you would imagine a Trump supporter would be. Um, yeah. It's good brand. It's interesting that you two are bringing that up because Kate Sloan, who was on the show this very week, as we are recording this, received the following email, and I'll try to summarize it as best I can. It says, good afternoon. This is from a woman by the name of Christine Lenzo with a certain PR firm. It says, afternoon, in these divisive times, it is becoming more and more difficult to make a relationship work with someone from a different political party. From owning a red MAGA hat to writing a social media post with BLM, people are easily offended and the discourse is getting extremely heated, especially in these last 20 days before the election. But how about dating a Trump supporter? What are the best ways to be with someone who is in support of the president when you're totally against him? I'd love to offer an interview with dating expert, and I'm not going to put her name in here, who can help navigating this tricky situation. And the friend of mine who got it went, oh, my God. Like doing some research, um, I had another book idea, and I thought it would be really interesting to sort of delve into the world of Ashley Madison. Oh, hmm. And they like the the dating sites for infidelity mm -hmm. and apparently right now like the thing that turns off women is if the guy says he's a trump supporter so even among cheaters don't don't wear a maga hat it's like a non-starter if you if you want to fuck somebody on the side you better at least pretend you're into biden so and, obviously um, you can't make america hard again by wearing a trump hat you know, it, it, it constrains your universe of choices too much. I mean, women <laughs> in general prefer the left. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but like right now, if you're just, if you just want to have the biggest funnel of opportunity possible, the smart moves to pretend you're a Democrat at, at a minimum or to be a Democrat and, and to just embrace that. So as women of a certain age, and the only reason I can say that is because I am around your age, so I yes. don't feel too uncomfortable saying that. Do you find that things get more exciting as you grow older, especially when you're in the world of BDSM or Tara, for as long as you've been in it, does it ever get old? No, it never gets boring. Um, that's that's what I love about it. No matter how long you do it, just when you think you've seen everything, heard everything, done everything, there's something new. What I notice is difference, um, and uh, it is, and I've, I've told my students this as well, is that when you're a young dom, like when I was in my early 20s, like all my slaves were older in their 60s, 70s with low hanging balls, 
And then as you get older, they get younger. So once you start getting into your 40s and 50s, they start getting into their 20s. So like, for example, if I'm on a dating site or if people are hitting me up, you know, on a fetish site or anything like that, my market right now is actually 20 to 28, even though that wouldn't be what I would choose to date. That's what I attract uh, both in terms of slaves and uh, if I'm out on the dating scene, I can attract younger, younger men. How fun. I actually I mean, young maybe you don't want to talk to them, but they're fun, right? No, you know, I was always into older. Well, I thought I was into older guys, but now what I figured out is I like guys like between 28 and 40 is the age group that I like. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm generally, you know, but I like, no, I'm not, I tried it. I was like, you know, why don't you just give it a shot, you know? And I, I went out with this really, I mean, I went out with a couple of really young guys and I don't know, they're just, they're too nervous and, um, and no, <laughs> I like, I still like older men and myself personally. I think one of the things that will actually make things uncomfortable when it comes to age differences is references. Yeah. I once said in the presence of somebody, oh, you went all Richie Cunningham on him. And they went, who's Richie Cunningham? And I, I just dropped. I went, you don't know who Richie Cunningham is? And then I realized, no, they wouldn't know wouldn't who know. Richie Cunningham. Yeah. 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 The social the social cues, the, you know, but it depends. It's, it's, it's different. It depends on what the value of the generation is like, whether they're Gen X or they're millennials makes a difference to, uh, and now what is it? Gen Z is, are we in now? I think that's yeah. where we are. Where we are. They seem a little too young. <laughs> For me anyway. But I'm not judging. I mean, maybe they're fun. I, I had a chance to work with college age kids for quite a few years, and it actually helped keep me young. So I'm able to appreciate what younger folks are, are thinking and, and the kind of things that they're into now. Uh, but now that I'm no longer working in that environment, I'm appreciating some of the things that people of our age uh, really appreciate. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm an avid me TV watcher, but I am. <laughs> oh, how funny! My my, my uh, one of my neighbors watches that. I can hear it, you know, because he's older and he turns his television up really loud. But yeah, it's all the old shows from the seventies, seventies, and even the sixties. I was watching antenna TV and watched an old Joey Bishop show this morning. <laughs> wow, that's, that's really taking cool. it back a while. Jane, you're lucky to be in an absolutely wonderful marriage. Uh, you, yes. I've, I've heard you gush about your husband and how great he is. Yes, I Could adore him. Could you imagine being on the dating scene now? And if so, how would you handle it? Oh, my God. I, I you know, I, so, you know, we're pretty diligent quarantiners. So every now and then, Norma and I just sort of look at each other and go, oh, my God, thank God we're not single. I mean, it would suck mm -hmm. uh, because he's really easy to be with. He's very supportive. He's he's interesting, which I value a great deal. I don't know. I mean, everybody's online. Everybody's using, 
using the dating sites. I, I remember before I met my husband, I was, you know, kind of scoping out the scene on match.com to see if that was appropriate. And mostly I was interested in who are the women and who am I up against? Like, what's the competition like? I mean, it, like it was a game, right? And so I feel grateful that, that it didn't come to that. Um, I don't know. Cause mm. I think I'm, I'm 53 now. So I think I'm, I'm at, at a point where like, like the guys who would be age appropriate for me, they still want them, you know, fertile and they're not going to get that with me. Right. Mm. Um, so I have no idea what it would be like. I think it would be kind of fascinating, but also pretty, pretty grim. Tara, you have any thoughts on that? I've, I've, I've dated as a, as a 50 year old woman uh, in the internet age. Um, but I mean, I date, you know, because of, because of my profession, gee, what should I reveal about this? Let me think about, let me think about this carefully. Okay, so when I was uh, when I was a sessioning dom, let's put it that way, uh, and when I made my living in sessions as opposed to owning a dungeon or film company or something like that, um, I always used to get my best clients from what's called in the industry freelancing. It's finding guys as clients by dating or going out to bars or like, in other words, not an advertisement. Oh. They don't know that they're a client, gender. They don't. Well, they don't know that they're going to become a client, right? <laughs> right, right. And those okay, were, I, I'm... those were always the best clients. So, so dating for me is a little weird because am I dating professionally or personally? And honestly, uh, honestly, as a dating coach, um, I, I sort of do both. Like, I'm not in one of those, and I'm, I'm not in one of those cycles now, but when I am actively dating, I date very actively. So I'll have a couple of dates a week. Um, mm -hmm. So I am very good at dating. So my dating experiences are usually good because dating is a skill that I've mastered. But I think if you don't understand that dating is a skill, then it's a nightmare. You know, because you don't, you don't I know who like I'm, I'm very good at telling whether someone's worth my time or not, just from, you know, reading their profile and a couple of exchanges. Like I know how not to let people waste my time. And, you know, um, and I love dating because I love uh, meeting new people. And I've always believed that if you, if there's good food, good wine and good conversation, it's never a waste, you know? Maybe this won't be the love of my life, but maybe it will be a new friend or maybe he's got a brother he's going to introduce me to. So I'm like very pro dating, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. so. so, so you just jogged my memory. So, um, you know, when I was single, I was, I was also working as an engineer and I was kind of a nerd. And, and so, you know, if I was in a nice hotel, I was in my room working. It wasn't like I was down at the bar sort of, you know, scoring phone numbers. So I was with my character, um, you know, the, 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 the woman who becomes a dominatrix, um, she would go to hotel bars and she would pick up men. And I wanted to know, is this even feasible? Like I had this idea, it seemed kind of hot, you know, picking up strange men to sort of take the edge off of her sexually. And so, um, 
my husband was away on a business trip because otherwise I'd have had no none of the courage necessary to do it. But I went to like a really swanky hotel bar just to see if I could like, you know, sort of get to a point where I could imagine closing the deal. Yeah. And it was just hard. What do I know? Right. And so I went to the Four Seasons uh, Hotel in New York. As you do. Kind of place it as one does. And, um, and then I just sort of, you know, ordered a drink at the bar and by golly, like within 10 minutes, I had a prospect yep. and I thought, you know, yep. this isn't that hard. I, why didn't Not I know this when I was 21? Oh yeah. Hotel this bars. talent is wasted on us all broads. Yeah. No, the hotel bars are always, cause you know, you have their businessmen and they're traveling and if they're going to do something naughty, they're going to do it while they're traveling. So you know, anyway, so yeah, I did very well with uh, hotel bars. And um, I used to love picking up guys in the shoe department at Bergdorf Goodman's. That was my other thing. Foot slaves. Like the men's shoe department or the ladies' shoe department? The women's shoe department. That's, well, be, before the internet, I mean, freelancing was, I think, more a part of sex work than it is now. Although that's changing now because of SESTA FOSTA. So people are sort of going back to freelancing. But um, yeah, I used to, um, uh, I mean, you know, I used to go into the shoe, shoe department at Bergdorf Goodman's and, you know, I try on very sexy shoes. And, you know, they have those little slanty angled mirrors that you look at your feet in. And inevitably after a while, I'd look down and I'd see a little set of beady eyes looking back up at me. And I knew I had them then because what are they doing in the women's shoe department at, Go at Bergdorf Goodman? Right? <laughs> Genius. Yeah. Fish where the fish are. Exactly. Why did I rob the bank? Because that's where the money was. <laughs> well, as a 57-year-old single man who was married for 20 years and I've been single for three um, I am finding, and I, many people might wonder, did he start this podcast just to get all the good advice on, on how to find women or date women? And that's not the case, but I will tell you that I am finding trying to date soul crushing because I, I believe that I send respectful notes. I absolutely read profiles from top to bottom to the point where I will actually try to make a, a fun comment about something in the profile. I'm not looking for a hookup. I'm genuinely looking for friends. And if something happens, that's great. But it is soul crushing. It is sending out 50 to 60 to 100 messages in a bottle that you genuinely put your soul into and realizing that you're just throwing it in the ocean and they're never going to come back. And that it's, hurts. It's a shitty yield. And you just gotta, you just gotta treat it like a sales problem. You just gotta yeah. send out the queries the and, and realize that maybe 5% will work. I'm saying it's worse than that in sales. It's 2% is actually sales. <laughs> but he's pretty good. I have a average yield. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm finding that in the King community, I'm actually very much more accepted because they will see a guy like me who is vulnerable, open, not afraid to uh, wear my cat suit in public. 
they see a straight guy who's into cat suits and they go, this is intriguing. I'd like to find out more. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to have massive amounts of people that want to play with me because obviously there's a special to, specialty to that. But at the same time, I think I come off as a sympathetic person that genuinely wants to meet people. And that's why I was able to, when I, I lived up in a city farther north from here, have this huge kink community and kink family around me that when I moved down to where I am now, I left all of them back there. And it was, it's been so difficult. And especially with COVID, I can't see anybody on a one-to-one -one basis. So I'm not trying to give a sob story here, but yeah. since I have two people who obviously understand what it's like to be our age, I thought it would be worthwhile to kind of share that story, especially if you all had any perspective on it. I think you just need to divorce yourself from the notion that it's personal. You know, um, just like there, the woman that you interviewed this week gets 80, has 80,000 DMs in her inbox. That's, that's the experience of women online. We're just buried in mm -hmm. stuff. And there are ways of making your stuff more noteworthy, more interesting, more enticing, but you're still just pushing against that avalanche. Mm -hmm. And and the odds suck. And I, I wish there was a secret um, workaround, but I think you just have to fill the fucking tunnel <laughs> and and wait for the consequences to dribble out. And it's it's a dribble. And I think when things get open and being a part of the kink community, especially as accepting as the kink community is, what a wonderful group of people that I've been around in the past and looking forward to being around in, in my new home. So I'm looking forward to that. Didn't mean to make it about me because this is about what women want. So no, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's the bug of the internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, we women, get buried. And, you know, it's not just pics, it's, it's people wanting our attention, it's people wanting whatever. And it's just, or just to say hi, but it's, it's a bit overwhelming. So let me turn it around. What are the kind of messages that you will look at and go, wow, I really do want to respond to this. Tara, I'll start with you. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, a couple of things you said would make me interested. The fact that uh, the first thing I look for is, did they actually read my profile? Does something in their response indicate that they actually read my profile and are, are interested in something other than just the way that I look? You know, um, and then like I look for, um, I look, you know, it's the three little bears, you know, if they write a note that's too short, uh, that's no good. And if they write something that's too long, that's no good, you know? So in other words, like when I teach my dating class, like if they say the example I give is, you know, how are you tonight? You know, I'm not going to respond to that, you know, but then on the other hand, you get these guys, especially in S&M, especially in S&M that write you like these civil war uh, love letters, you know, that are just pages and pages of, uh, you know, and the, their whole history when I was five, uh, my kindergarten uh, teacher was very beautiful. And then my college girlfriend was dominant. And, you know, and they go into their, you know, uh, that's a turnoff also. So what I look for is 
you know, two to four short paragraphs of introduction of why, why you're interested in me and why I should be interested in you. What, you know, what, what drew you to my profile? So, you know, that's what I look for mostly. I think that's what most women look for. I, I have like admirers. I, I don't know what to call them because you know they're. I'm never going to play with them. I'm never going to see them. Would they be but the boonies? The boonies. They're the boonies. But you know, a lot of them haven't even read my book. I mean, if you want to impress me, read my fucking book, and then I will pay a lot of attention to you because I'm flattered. It's like reading your profile. I mean, you need to show that you at least. Take you know, have extended a modicum of interest that, yes. that you, Tara, are not just the embodiment of some sexual fantasy that, you know, that they've been having for 30 years and you just popped up in their, in their consciousness at the right moment. It needs to be specific. It needs to be personal to you. It needs to show evidence that, that you're actually special to them. Um, even yeah. if it's only just special in a, in a demonstration of curiosity. Um, that you're not just a generic dominatrix that they sent this civil war letter to 50 times. And I know yeah. if you keep repeating messages and the people don't get the hint, that's, that's really difficult as well. Yeah, well, I think a little bit of persistence is nice. You know, um, if, if I don't respond and somebody checks back in, um, you know, uh, after a period of time has passed, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a little persistence is good. It's when it's right. too much. Yeah, messages get lost. We all know that to, to sort of, you know, burst yourself back into into the brain and the front of the front of the brain. That's fine, but like only do that once or twice, and then you move on because. Perhaps there's just a lot of shit going on at her end that just doesn't make her receptive. I mean, we, the thing is, we're we're all in our little, you know, we're all in our homes, we're all on our couches. We don't have visibility into what's going on at the other end of the internet when we're communicating with somebody. And people, people are dealing with a lot of shit right now. And, um, you know, I've queried a lot of people in conjunction with the book or it's part of my research or whatnot and, and if they don't reply you know I'll follow up once and then I move on because I am not a pest and I don't know what they're dealing with but you know maybe someday they'll follow they'll return my query but we just don't know and and it's 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 kind of rude to like impose your own timing on somebody else and that's what I've been trying to do, especially when trying to get guests for the podcast, because obviously we're a newer podcast and people go, well, have you been around for a long time? I'm saying no, but at the same time, we are backed by Dating Kinky and they have been around for a long time. So it's, it's, uh, that helps give me a little credibility, but yes, you can't keep pestering people because as you all know, living on the West coast, everybody has a podcast and everybody wants you to be on it. I'll be on any podcast. I'm a podcast whore. You love it. I heard you on Off the Cuffs and it was great. No, I'm not that indiscriminate. I'm, I'm delighted to be here, but I, I really enjoy talking about these topics and the opportunity to interact with fascinating people is something 
I really take a lot of pleasure in. And so I am game. This stuff is fun. I mean, that is what one of the perks of having produced a book or having, you know, investigated something as deeply as you have, Tara. It's like sharing what you know and and helping you know, kind of seduce other people into your way of seeing things. And that's, that's pretty sexy. I will say, Jane, that I think you would be an amazing podcast host as well as a <laughs> guest because you have, uh, you have a great gift of gab and you have a wonderful way of taking what people have just said and being able to come up with the next wonderful question. So you may have a new career in that. Who knows? You know, I'm married to a journalist. Uh, asking questions is something that happens like all day, every day in this household. And what I think is great is one, asking questions, but two, getting answers. And, you know, it's, it's exciting learning things and digging into the deep recesses of our brains and seeing what's in there. I mean, Tara's seen stuff. I mean, we've all seen stuff. I, you know, it's, 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 it's exciting learning, teaching, sharing. Tara, you're looking forward to getting back out there and being able to teach in person. I bet you it's kind of driving oh, you a little nuts. Oh, I, I miss, uh, I, I miss being up in front of a group of people and, and, and bossing people around. I mean, you know. <laughs> You really no. were born into it, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing I love, you know, better than just getting up in front of a group of people and just talking, you know? So, you know, not being able to do that, um, it's really hard, you know? Um, especially because, you know, whenever you do this kind of work, you know, especially since I gave up the dungeon, you know, if it, without the dungeon, you know, my work is fairly solitary except for the occasions when I am teaching. That's really the only, you know, I don't go into a dungeon and see everybody every day. It's interesting because they talk about like um, retirement. I mean, and this is not real retirement, it's Dom retirement, right? So it's not real retirement, but it's got some of the symptoms of it because I didn't realize how important that, that daily small talk is at, at your job just to process, oh, did you see the news last night? What about that asshole? Or, you know, the price of bananas is going up, like that weird small talk, we needed to process the information. So, you know, I'd already sort of, you know, lost that, which, you know, I, you know, tried to recreate uh, before I opened my school by, you know, just going out to eat a lot, uh, which was fun, you know, but it doesn't really replace that. Um, and now not being able to teach, you know, it's very isolating. I have this theory that that in six months we're all going to understand that Zoom induces psychosis or something something really kind of dark and weird. I mean, the, the experience of being in a little box on, on your laptop, the experience of having that slight delay in, in the talking and the listening, and, and the experience of like kind of talking to yourself a lot. It, it's very distorting. You know, we, as you notice, Tara, we're, that, 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 random interaction over the water cooler is gone and it's it's tough being inside our own heads as much um i i see it um especially with my husband's job i mean we're going bonkers 
Um, I, I don't think this hard on us introverts, but like if you're an extrovert, this period is like horrible for you. And you also realize that the people's voice don't have little stutters in them caused by wireless tra transmission of the internet, where if you're not absolutely perfectly on high speed internet with wires and everything, every now and then pieces of your words will miss. And so I'm actually looking forward to actually getting to talk to you someday in a better light where it's not feeling like you're so far away. And on so the plus side, we're all in our homes. So we're yes. easy to reach. I mean, like, what else are we going to do? I mean, I'm so glad you guys are here. I mean, I get to talk to strangers instead of just my fucking husband. This is thrill. Thank you. Well, Jane, I'll actually mention something. And this is happening uh, all over the kink community. And it's kind of it's kind of fun is people are having online munches. Because munches is what where we used to go to get to meet each other and get to talk with each other, talk a little kink, talk a little television, everything. And there are different places all around that are actually doing weekly online munches. The folks at Off the Cuffs, who the, you you were on uh, their podcast just recently, they have a weekly munch. And I've actually found friends not only in Canada, where they have a lot of their listeners, but overseas. And it's where I go on Friday. It's my Friday night thing to do, which is pretty cool considering that we're all isolated as we are. That's wonderful. I remember going to my very first one when I was living in Boston and, and I was in my twenties then, and, and they were all like baby boomers. And I was looking around going, Oh my God, these people are so old. And, and now I'm like, Oh my God, now I'm that person. How did this happen? <laughs> yep. Tara, tell us what is going on as far as your education is concerned. I'm sure you're still doing classes, and how can people find out about those? Uh, well, I can't do my group classes, although it looks like, I don't know when, I, I don't know when we're going to be able to do group classes again, um, but I am doing uh, private coaching uh, and, uh, hand, and hands-on training. I can do it on Zoom, or I can do it... Uh, in person if we're wearing masks and we've done all the precautions uh, and you can find out about my classes at the art of female domination.com um, that's uh, that has all the information about all my different classes and I have a couple of coaching packages that are pretty reasonable um, and uh, if it's for something other than my classes if they want to get in touch for a phone session or uh, whatever uh, that would be tarandiana.com. And uh, of course, I'm on all the social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, yada, yada, yada. And we will have all those links in our show notes. Uh, Jane, yes. Edge Play is out. It is. It's even in the odd bookstore, but Amazon is the easiest place to get it. So go to Amazon, make 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 Bezos even richer, because he's got like a hot young woman on his side, and he's got his personal trainers and all the HGH he's mainlining. So he needs the money. <laughs> and on social media, I know you're all over social media because I follow you everywhere in well, a good way on social media. I I gotta I gotta I gotta do the book hustle. That's the thing. So on Twitter, I'm Jane E Boone. 
B-O-O-N. There's no E on Boone, unlike with Daniel. And it's the same on Instagram. And I've been posting pictures of, of my books tied to things. Um, <laughs> I had access to an amazing backyard in Bel Air. And I, you know, it had a lamppost. It has trees. It had a gazebo. I put my book in hot pink rope on everything I could find. And I, I create these funny little vignettes as a... Um, as a spoof on the typical bookstagram thing, which is always like a book and a planter or something with rose beside it. I'm like, no, mine are lashed the posts. <laughs> and um, so it, it can be kind of silly and fun, but it's, it's, the book is intended to be fun, but it also discusses the sex industry and BDSM in ways that I hope um, will feel true to Tara. A lot of uh, pro-doms have read it and really appreciated that I, I made an effort to depict it as a, as a complicated profession for thoughtful, savvy women. Um, oh, and, thank you. And, um, but, but one that's fraught because, you know, within the confines of the dungeon, you're the queen. But to do anything even as simple as, you know, deposit money or get paid, all of a sudden the state is acting against you and you have to navigate a world that is hostile to your profession as soon as you're out of that confine. And then there's the, the kind of the head game, like, you know, are the men into me or in, into how I make them feel? And um, so I hope I, I captured that well. And it, it seems like um, I, I, I did. That so, uh, I'm genuinely looking forward to reading it, Jane, because, well, and, and I don't read a lot, but you captured my imagination with all the, all the different ways that you've bound the book to, in different places. And yes. also the stories that you tell through social media, you've done a wonderful job with that. And, uh, is there, is there something coming up after edge play or, so I'm I'm waiting to see how it does. To be mm -hmm. frank, um, COVID has sort of messed up the rollout. Um, I I don't know how it's doing in bookstores. Um, it's doing okay on Amazon, but I'm in sort of the, the erotica ghetto. When I think the story is bigger than that, and mm -hmm. so um, it, I'm getting some some conventional uh, coverage soon. But you know, it's all beyond my control. But the story is queued up where there could be a sequel, where my accidental dominatrix, who has already spurned the advances of the billionaire, this is not Fifty Shades, the billionaire does not get the girl. Um, the girl gets the man she wants and that she deserves. The billionaire is a little marginal, um, but there is a billionaire, it's finance and they're everywhere. And um, but it's queued up that they're gonna be working together. And so things could happen. You know, he's he's like a bondage freak. She she knows how to tie knots. I think it's a recipe for for a complicated workplace. So that's what happens if book sales are good. So if you want to learn more about Amy and Dan, buy the fucking book. <laughs> that's the best promo that I could possibly imagine. It's as, sim it's as simple as that. Buy the fucking book, and buy two, buy ten. I don't care. Oh. This is kind of funny. So I've gotten these queries from guys into FinDom, uh -huh. financial domination. And I'm like, I'm not that girl, but if you want to impress me by 10 copies, That'll just work. do it. I don't care what you do with the book, just buy 10 copies. Show me the receipt and I'll 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 be impressed. 
hasn't happened yet. Those guys are all talk, no action. Yeah. At least where I'm concerned. Maybe you've had a different experience, Tara. Well, when they're really into fandom, it's very, they just give you money. You don't have to, there's no, that's how you can tell. Like, I mean, I shouldn't have question. to work at it. Just buy the fucking book. <laughs> exactly right. Tara and Jane, this has been an absolute blast. It is the first time since I've started the podcast and we've actually recorded in advance uh, out about 10 weeks. I wanted to get this in as a pre-election special because it was just so perfect for it. But it's the first time that I've had to take the format, rip it up, throw it away because you all had such a wonderful conversation together. And to me, that's what it's all about, hearing your stories and hearing your perspectives. And this was an absolute blast, ladies. I thank you. Thank you so much, John. It was my pleasure. And thank you, Tara. I bow to the goddess. Thank you. It was really great meeting you. I hope we can stay in touch. Yes, I like that. That was a great episode with two amazing women. And I believe both would encourage you to get out and vote on Tuesday. Because as Tara says, we need to whip America back into shape. Next week, we premiere on election day appropriately with two sadomasochists as Ketchin Klein and Pavlov join us with their stories and share their unique perspective. We would love to hear from you. You can write me at john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. And now that we're on Apple Podcasts as well as Google, if you get the chance to subscribe, rate, and review, it helps us. And you notice I didn't say give us a five-star review because we have to earn those. And we hope we did. Thank you so much for being with us for this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. This is John reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. And please, please vote. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter. What Women Want podcast on Instagram and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Done Differently.